Hi, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church of Christ, and I want to thank you for joining us as we open God's Word to study what it says about the subject of alcohol. We're going to be taking a look at three passages in the book of Proverbs that talk about this subject and learn what it says about what alcohol is, what alcohol does, and what we ought to do with alcohol. So please open up your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, and let's learn God's lessons about alcohol. About the past 13 or 14 weeks, Brad Paisley has had a song that's climbing the country charts. I, I know, it amazes you guys that I know that, but it's actually a song that I've heard, and it's a rather interestingly titled song. It's just called Alcohol. But before we might berate it, it's got a rather interesting story to tell. I just want to read to you some of the lyrics that, that are on it. I can make anybody pretty. I can make you believe any lie. I can make you pick a fight with somebody twice your size. Anybody heard this song? Yeah. About two weeks ago, it was number four, and it seems to be climbing. Uh, well, I've been known to cause a few breakups, and I've been known to cause a few births. I can make you new friends or get you fired from work. And since the day I left Milwaukee, Lynchburg, and Bordeaux, France, I've been making the bars lots of good money and helping white people dance. I got you in trouble in high school, but college, now that was a ball. You had some of the best times you'll never remember with me, alcohol. I got blamed at your wedding reception for your best man's embarrassing speech, and I'll bet you a drink or two that I can make you put that lampshade on your head. Because since the day I left Milwaukee and Lynchburg, that's the chorus, he repeats all that. And then one of the lines, I've been making a fool out of folks just like you. I am medicine and I am poison. You had some of the best times you'll remember, you'll never remember with me, alcohol. Now that's just a very interesting story of alcohol. I really don't know what Mr. Paisley's actual view of alcohol is. Uh, I imagine that... The folks who have made this song popular really don't see it as much of a negative. For them, all the impact of, of alcohol is just kind of funny. But one of the things I see from this song is, once again, how honest people in the world can be sometimes and how dishonest folks who are religious can be at times. Because, you see, folks in the world certainly understand exactly what alcohol does. It affects how we see things. It affects how we think. It affects how we act. It makes fools out of us. Perhaps the best thing that could be said in that whole song is it helps us white people dance. But that's for a whole other sermon. Yet Christians, while this song has been climbing the charts, have continued to argue about the issue of drinking alcohol. It amazes me that somebody in the world can see this is what alcohol does, but Christians will say, oh, I'm not affected by a few drinks. Oh, for those of you who can't hold their liquor, it's, I understand why you shouldn't, but for those of us who can, it's really not a big deal. Oh, you know, the Bible says everything in moderation. I'm still looking for that verse, by the way, because it's not there. Christians, it seems, excuse me, non-Christians, it seems, because they don't feel the need to defend what they're doing, they can take an honest look at what alcohol makes them do. 
Christians, on the other hand, who want to partake, feel the need to defend, and sometimes aren't quite as honest as country musicians can be. I'd like for us to take a few moments this morning to just honestly take a look at what the Bible actually says about alcohol. I want us to, we're going to keep most of our time just in the Proverbs. Because I'm amazed at the number of people who will go to Proverbs and say that the Proverbs demonstrate that it's okay to have some in moderation. And I just want us to look at what is really there, what the Proverbs honestly say. There are three passages in the Proverbs that deal with this issue. Proverbs 20 and verse 1, you've got Proverbs chapter 23, verse 35, down through verse 39, and you've got Proverbs chapter 31, verses 4 through 7. Now, in a previous lesson, we talked about this sometime last year. We've already demonstrated, and we don't have time to go through and re-demonstrate this this morning. We've already demonstrated that in the Bible, the word wine can be used to mean both intoxicating and non-intoxicating. It can mean wine as we use it today, or it can mean just grape juice. And we've also demonstrated in the past that those in the ancient times when the Bible was written knew very well how to make sure that juice would not turn into an intoxicating drink. They knew how to accomplish that, just like we know how to accomplish it. And I'm not going to go through that. That would take us five or ten minutes just to look at that. If you want to study that more on the outline that I'll have on the table in the foyer on your way out the door... I have the notes regarding those issues attached to the outline, so you can study that more on your own later. But we've talked about that in some of our lessons before. This morning, I just want to take a look at these three passages in Proverbs that clearly are dealing with intoxicating drink. And so, open your Bibles there, but before we do that, let's say a prayer. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your love and your mercy, and we're thankful that you have bestowed your grace upon us that You've given us Your Word, that we might understand how we ought to live. And we pray that You would give us wisdom this morning. Give us an honest eye to be able to turn to Your Scripture and find out exactly what Your Word says about this issue that faces us every day. Help us to be wise and help us to be servants that glorify You in all that we do. May we always control ourselves by Your Word. Father, we're thankful for Your Son. Steve pointed out to us just moments ago and how thankful we are for His death for the memorial that you've given us as we remember that he died to take our sins away. And we pray that you would help us to remember that death and to remember his love and to therefore love you in return. In his name we pray. Amen. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1 helps answer our first question. The first question we're going to be asking is, what is alcohol? The Proverbs tell us. In Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1, it says, Wine is a mocker and strong drink a brawler. And whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. That's from the updated New American Standard. I just wanted us to look at these terms, mocker and brawler. And let's take a look at the Proverbs and what they actually say about these things. Now, I want you to notice that it doesn't say this is what alcohol makes us do. It personifies alcohol and says this is what alcohol is. This is what an intoxicating beverage is. It is a mocker and it is a brawler. The word for mocker... According to Strong's and Hack's lexicon, is the Hebrew word lutz. It means to scorn, make mouths at, or to talk arrogantly. The word for brawler is the Hebrew word hama. It means to murmur, to growl, to roar, to cry aloud, mourn, rage, 
it means a sound, it means to make noise, tumult, be clamorous, be disquieted, be loud, be moved, be troubled, be in an uproar. The idea of being a mocker and a brawler, it says that alcohol is one that speaks these great swelling words. It speaks it loudly, but the noise is really empty and there's nothing there. It doesn't, it doesn't actually give what it promises. If we look at Proverbs, it actually talks about these two very concepts of mocking and brawling. Mocking also can mean scoffing, and so that's the way it's translated in some of these passages we're going to look at here. But according to Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 34, though he scoffs at the scoffers. How does God treat the mocker? The same word here translated scoffer is the word for mocker up here. He scoffs at the scoffers. What, is, what does God think about the mocker? He mocks them. He scoffs them. God is not pleased with the scoffer or the mocker. We can look at Proverbs 14.6. A scoffer seeks wisdom and finds none. A mocker seeks wisdom and finds none. Not a pretty picture. Proverbs 19.29. Judgments are prepared for scoffers. And then we have in Proverbs 24 and verse 9, the scoffer is an abomination to men. This is what God thinks about the mockers and the scoffers. And then, in this passage in Proverbs 20 and verse 1, He says that's what intoxicating drink is. It is a mocker. It is one that has no wisdom. It is one that God scoffs at. It is one that has judgments prepared for it and is one that's an abomination to men. This is not a pretty picture, despite what we're told by those who go back to this passage and say, oh, it's okay as long as you're not intoxicated. Let's keep looking. What about brawling? Interestingly, it seemed to be a rather unique translation of that Hebrew word hama, the brawler here, because it has that idea of being a great noise that really doesn't provide any substance. For instance, it's found in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 21 at the head of the noisy street. So there's the idea of the brawling. It's that idea of the boisterous and noisy and loud. and It's just like this amazing cacophony. It's just this noise. As if you were downtown Nashville hearing the horns honking and hearing people hollering back and forth at one another. And all that noise. That's what being a brawler or being boisterous is about. It's also used two times. And it's very interesting. Here in Proverbs we find that strong drink is this boisterous brawler. The other two times it's used other than in this passage... It's used to describe the harlot or the foolish woman. For instance, in Proverbs chapter 7 and verse 11, as he's talking about the harlot, he says, She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. We've got also in Proverbs 9 and verse 13, as it talks about the woman of folly. Again, the harlot who's trying to draw innocent men into her. She is boisterous. And so this term that's used to describe strong drink boisterous, brawler. As we look through the Scriptures, these are not positive terms. Here in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1, the proverbialist is pointing out wine and strong drink are bad things. They're mockers. They're brawlers. They speak great swelling words to tempt you and to draw you in. But all it is is useless, pointless noise. Making promises, but providing nothing. We need to take a look at the last half of this verse as well because this also provides more of a definition about what intoxicating drink is. The New American Standard there says whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. And because of that translation, there are a whole lot of people that say, oh, see, Proverbs 20 and verse 1 is simply talking about getting drunk. But the term that's translated intoxicated here 
is not translated intoxicated any place else in the Scripture. It's not the Hebrew word for being drunk. There are different words for being drunk than this one. And in fact, when we take a look at various translations, we can look at the King James and find that it says, whoever is deceived by it is not wise. The American Standard says, whoever, whosoever erreth thereby is not wise. The Revised Standard says, whoever is led astray by it is not wise. The, the New International Version says, whoever is led astray by them is not wise. What we find out is that this passage here is not talking about levels of intoxication. It's not saying that when you get to some point of being drunk, you're not wise. It's saying when you're led astray by it. Now, some might suggest, oh, that means only when you sin because you've drunk it. I, I really don't think that fits in the context. In the context, wine is a mocker and wine is a brawler. And if you believe what it says to you, you're a fool. That's what the proverbialist is saying. That wine is, and that strong Greek is making all these promises and telling you all these things that it can do for you. Oh, it can relax you and make you calm. And it can make you look cool. And it can provide all this. It'll give you a good time. Of course, remember what Brad Paisley said. You won't remember it. But if you're deceived by all its mocking and its brawling and all its boisterous claims, he says you're a fool. Don't be deceived by the promises that it makes. This is what intoxicating drink is. It's a mocker. It's a brawler. It's a deceiver. And again, I remind you, just to drive this home, it doesn't say this is what it'll make us do if we drink it. It says this is what it is. I recognize the figure of speech here. But the point is not here's the things you'll be doing. Here is what it is. And so I just ask you, just at that point, do you think that God is really telling us wine is a mocker, it's strong drink is a brawler, it's a deceiver, but go ahead and have a little bit of it? And just think about that. But let's keep looking. We answered the question what it is. The Proverbs also tell us what it does. So we take a look at the concept of what it does. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 31 tells us, Do not look on the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. Here's what it does. It looks attractive. And doesn't our society know that? I mean, isn't that why the beer commercials have told us for years it doesn't get any better than this? I'm told by those who partake that, boy, there's just nothing better than on a hot day after you've been working all day to sit down in the shade and crack open a cold beer. And that might be true, I really wouldn't know. But it looks attractive. It sparkles in the cup. I mean, I can just envision the, the wine tasters I've seen on TV, you know, as they, as they pick up that glass and they just swirl it around and then, you know, take a little sip and breathe the air across it so they can get the flavor and all that stuff. It sparkles in the cup and it goes down smoothly. Oh, how nice it is. But verse 32 goes on to say, and at last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. That really shouldn't surprise us because we just read in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1 that it's a deceiver. It's attractive. It sparkles in the cup. It goes down smoothly, but what it causes is the serpent's bite. Am I the only person that's caused to think about Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6 when I read this? Remember in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, the serpent in the garden caused Eve to believe that the fruit on that tree was good for food, a delight to the eyes, and desirable to make one wise. But in the end, it was nothing more than a serpent's bite and stung like a viper, wasn't it? This is what intoxicating drink does. It's attractive. It draws you in. It tempts you. But then in the end, it bites you like a serpent. Again, not a pretty picture. 
What does it do? We continue to look at Proverbs chapter 23, verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? It goes on to say, those who linger long over wine. Those who go to taste mixed wine. Look at all these things that intoxicating drink causes. Woe. Sorrow. Contentions. Complaining. Wounds without cause. Redness of eyes. We'll go on make some more comments as we look at all these verses. Verse 33 says, Your eyes will see strange things and your mind will utter perverse things. You ever heard of wearing beer goggles? That's what he's talking about here. You'll see strange things. You start drinking that stuff, it affects the way you perceive things. There's another honest country song going out there, though I don't necessarily think we, we ought to listen to this one too often, but uh, Neil McCoy has one out called Billy's Got His Beer Goggles On. Anybody heard that one? Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's an honest little song, though. It talks about what alcohol does to Billy because, see, his girlfriend dumped him, and so now he's gone to the bar to get drunk. And uh, all these things, you know, I, I begin to wonder if some of these guys writing these songs haven't read these, song, these proverbs and what it says because they describe the exact same thing. Old Billy, he's chasing everything in sight because he can't see ugly through bloodshot eyes. Isn't that what this talks about? Seeing perverse things? Redness of eyes? You know, the country singers know what it does. Why don't we? Neil McCoy pointed out that everything's all right now, but when he gets home, it's all going to fall apart. In that song, he talks about the fact that, you know, a lot of people when they drink, they start fighting. Not Billy. But a lot of them do start fighting, don't they? We know that. Why? Because alcohol causes contentions. Doesn't this sound like what Paisley said in that song? I can make anybody look pretty. I can make you believe any lie. I'll make you pick a fight with somebody twice your size. Why? Because this is how it affects us. It causes us to think unwisely, if you can call it thinking at all. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 34 goes on and says, You'll be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea, or like one who lies down on the top of a mast. Let me ask you, what do we know about the person who is lying down in the middle of the sea? They're drowning. If you're lying down in the middle of the sea, you're underwater, you're drowning. This is not a pleasant thing. According to the pulpit commentary, the Germans used to have a statement that said more people have drowned in the wine cup than in the ocean. See, they understood it. He says, you get involved with this drink, it's going to drown you. On top of that, he says, you're going to be like the person who lies down at the top of the mast. Have you ever seen the mast on a ship? It's a, it's a big spoke, basically, just a big, long pole, huge pole that's the center of the ship. It kind of holds it all together. Everything's anchored from there. But you get to the top, and it's about this big around. You could hardly stand on that, let alone lie down on it, especially when it's out in the middle of the ocean rocking over the waves. What's he saying? He says, this is what you're like. You get involved with this stuff, and you're like the person who's trying to balance on top of the mast. Oh, I'm sure that there would be people who say, oh, well, for those of you who have bad balance, you wouldn't want to stand on top of the mast. But for those of us who have good balance, it's okay for us to do it in moderation. He says, this is what it's like when you get involved with it. This is what it does. It makes you this kind of person. And then in Proverbs 23 and verse 34, he points out that it's addictive. 
I mean, after all, what else would cause this if you're not addicted to it? They struck me, but I didn't become ill. They beat me, but I didn't know it. When shall I awake? I will seek another drink. It's taking control. As you get involved in alcohol and intoxicating drink, it begins to take control. Even amazingly uh, painful things can happen. You don't realize it, but when it's all said and done, it doesn't matter. You want to drink again. I think about when I was in high school and the number of my friends that would come to school on Monday morning bloodshot eyes, looking sick, just talking about how they spent all Sunday over the toilet bowl, puking their guts out, and how they are never going to drink again. And then they were doing the same thing the next Monday, and the next Monday, and the next Monday. All these things happen, but I keep going back to it. When shall I awake? I just want another drink. This is what alcohol does. It's addictive. Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 5 says, for they will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. In that passage, Lemuel's mother said, it's not for kings, O Lemuel, it's not for kings to drink wine or to desire strong drink because they'll drink and they'll forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of the afflicted. What that points out is, is that as drink enters our body, we start losing control of our mind from the very first drink. Interestingly, just to step outside of Proverbs for just a moment, this is exactly the point that Paul was making in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, Paul said, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The word translated drunk there is methusko. According to Vine's expository dictionary, that word is in the inceptive form. The inception of something is the beginning of it. And you can also look at the outline. I've got a lot more about this particular form of the word here on the, on the end notes on the outline. But what the inceptive is, is it talks about a process from beginning to end. Vine points out, and several other lexicons point out, that this term, methusko, as the inceptive form of the verb, talks about what causes the drunkenness. In Ephesians 5.18, he's not talking about being stole cold, laid out on the floor drunk. He's talking about, from the beginning to end, the process of being intoxicated. Where does that process begin? That process begins as you take that first step. And the point that he's making and the point that the proverbialist mother is making here in this passage is that from the beginning, when you start taking that drink, it begins to affect the brain. And as you become filled with wine, you're less able to be filled with the Spirit. And being filled with the Spirit here means being controlled by the Spirit, knowing His Word and doing things based on His Word. As you become filled with this drink, it begins to control. And you lose control. And the Spirit loses control. And this is what he says. This is what it causes. Intoxicating drink causes you to forget God's law. What's the first thing alcohol does? You start looking up the effects of alcohol at the top of the list. The very first thing it does is it begins to cause you to lose your inhibitions and to lose your ability to reason. That's why they don't want you drinking and driving. Because you can't think clearly. You don't know what you're supposed to do when somebody steps on their brakes ahead of you or pulls out. And so your reaction time is slowed down because your inhibitions and your ability to reason with the first drink are affected. How much more as you continue on? This is what it does. Our third question then is, Proverbs has pointed out, and it's not been a very pretty picture. I think we can all recognize that as Proverbs has described intoxicating drink, and as it's told us what it does, it's not left us with a pretty picture. We could probably stop here and realize that if nothing else, at least the safest course is to stay away from it. But let's take a look at what the Proverbs actually say we ought to do with it. 
in the Proverbs, there's one passage that allows for the drinking of intoxicating drink. And that's Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 6 and 7. Give strong drink to him who is perishing. And wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. This is the contrast between a king who should not drink because he'll forget what's decreed and disobey the law and pervert justice. But give it to him who is perishing. To the one who's dying. Notice. To the one whose life is bitter. Poverty. And, and, and trouble. Now, a lot of folks will look at this and say, oh, see, the depressed person. The depressed person ought to, they're allowed to go ahead and drink alcohol and forget their trouble. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about someone who's dying, who is in pain because they're perishing, who is in pain because of whatever is racking and attacking their body, their poverty of spirit and body, and they've got all this trouble and pain. What he's got here is, look, use it as a painkiller because it'll deaden it. It'll cause you to forget what's going on. But it's not for the king who has to remember the law. And of course, I'll remind you, we'll talk a little bit more about this in just a second. Which one are we supposed to be? Even if I'm wrong, and this is talking about the depressed person whose life is miserable and sorrowful, which person are we supposed to be? The king? I mean, we're Christians. We're in Christ. The ones who are supposed to have peace because we're doing the things that Christ says. So are we supposed to be the king? Or are we supposed to be the one whose lives are miserable and want to turn to drink to fix our problems? But in this passage, what it demonstrates is a medicinal use, a painkiller, which we know it works well at that. And that's all. But for everybody else, let's look at what the Proverbs have to say about what we should do with it. First of all, remember in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, it pointed out whoever's intoxicated, but we learned that that word is better, the idea of deceived. First thing we need to realize is don't be deceived by it. And I think it's important for us to recognize this because there's a lot of arguing going on, there's a lot of debating going on, and sometimes within ourselves... And his point is, don't be deceived. Because it will deceive you. It will offer a lot, and it will provide nothing. Don't be deceived by it. But then further, we look in Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 4. He says, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, or for rulers to desire strong drink. The proverbialist, mother, as she was training him, and I think this, if I understand it correctly, Lemuel is a poetic name for Solomon. As Solomon's mother, Bathsheba, was teaching him, she pointed out to him, Solomon, you don't need to drink. Don't drink because it's going to cause you to lose sight of what you're supposed to be doing as a king. It's not for you to drink. She didn't say, only drink a little bit of it. Do you see that? She didn't say, oh, it is, it is for kings, oh, Lemuel, it's for kings to only drink it in moderation. She didn't say, it's for kings, oh, Lemuel, it's for kings to drink until they can't hold it anymore. She said, it is not for kings, oh, Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink it or even to desire it. You shouldn't drink it. You shouldn't even want it, Solomon, she said. And I'll remind you that 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 points out that we as Christians are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood. We are kings with Christ. And it's not for kings to drink this stuff. But then we'll also go to Proverbs chapter 23, verse 30 through 31. Now remember what it said. Who has woe? Who has redness of eyes? Who has contention? All those things. And it points out a lot of people go to this. Those who linger long over wine. See, that's it right there. You're allowed to linger short over wine, but don't linger long over wine. But it seems like we forget the next statement because the next statement doesn't say anything about lingering over it. It says that it also happens to those who go to taste mixed wine. Some translations say who search it out. So this 
the proverbialist doesn't say it's just the absolute drunk who's been drinking too much. He said it's even the person who just goes to look for it has all these problems. But here's the amazing thing. Even if we were just to say, okay, it's only those who get really drunk that have all these problems. Even if we admit the proverbialist is just saying that you only have these problems if you drink all this stuff for a long time and you get really stone cold drunk, it's interesting that the proverbialist gave some advice on how to deal with it. Notice what he says. Those who linger long over wine, those who go to taste mixed wine, don't drink too much of the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. Is that what it says? Those who linger long over wine, those who go to taste mixed wine, do not linger long over the wine when it's red. That's not what it says. He says, do not... This is his advice. Don't look at the stuff. Did he mean that while we drink our little bit that we can hold in moderation, we should keep our eyes closed? I don't think so. When we look at the Proverbs, he said, this is a deceiver. It's going to promise a lot, but it's going to deliver nothing. These are all the problems that it causes, so don't even look at it. That's what the proverbialist said. That was his advice. Don't even look at it when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly, let alone drink it. Now, here are just some interesting connections I'd like to make for you. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 10 says, Drive out the scoffer and contention will cease. Isn't that interesting? Uh, and I recognize this verse is not specifically about intoxicating drink, but I think it's interesting. Remember what intoxicating drink is called there in Proverbs 20 and verse 1? Wine is a scoffer or mocker, depending on your translation. Also, interestingly there in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 29, remember what it had said? Who has contentions? Those who linger long over wine, those who go to taste mixed wine. Here in Proverbs 22 and verse 10, it brings both of those things together. It says, look, drive out the scoffer and you'll get rid of contention." It doesn't say, put up with the scoffer for a little bit in moderation and you'll get rid of contention. We recognize that if somebody, if some person is a scoffer, if we want to get rid of contention, we've got to get rid of them. The same thing is true when we recognize that wine is the scoffer and the mocker. If we want to get rid of contentions, we've got to get rid of it. And then finally, one more passage. This one's outside of Proverbs. But in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31, very interestingly, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. That word that's translated right there is the New Testament counterpart to the word brawler in Proverbs 20 and verse 1, or boisterous. But notice what he says here. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, let all clamor be put away from you. We as Christians are supposed to be putting clamor away from us. And so we go back to Proverbs 21 and find out that strong drink is clamor, it is boisterous. And we're allowed to have a little bit of it. We're told in the New Testament, put all clamor away from you. But in the, because of Proverbs 20 and verse 1, we've learned that we're allowed to go ahead and drink a little bit of clamor. Does that really make sense? I mean, I recognize this passage is not specifically about alcohol, but I'm just making the point that when you look at what wine is and what it's described as, and then we're told that we should not have clamor, and then we turn around and would defend it's okay to drink a little bit of something that God calls clamor and brawler, that just doesn't make sense to me. And so as we take a look at all this, I think we can recognize that the Proverbs are pretty clear. The Proverbs are pretty clear. What is intoxicating drink? It's a mocking, brawling deceiver. What will it do? It will tempt us. It will attract us. But in the end, it will provide nothing except problems. And so what should we do with it? The proverbialist said, don't even look at it. I'm amazed 
That's a number of people who have gone to Proverbs to say that the Proverbs support this idea of drinking intoxicating drink in moderation. Because it doesn't. The proverbialist took a look at alcohol and said, don't look at it. Some of our brethren today look at Proverbs and say, well, look at it a little bit. Which one are we going to believe? Which one are we going to follow? I know I probably haven't answered everybody's questions about alcohol. We haven't even looked at everything the Scripture says about intoxicating drink, but at least we've looked at one good portion of it. A portion a lot of folks go to and say, see, we can do it as long as we don't get drunk. That's not what it says. I have the outlines that you'll be able to pick up and go to the website and get the last sermon that was preached on about a year ago. Has some more information. Be happy to study the issue with you at any time. But I think what we see here is the Scripture says that we Christians need to steer clear of it. All that stuff in those songs that the country singers are honest enough to admit, that shouldn't be a part of our lives. That's what God says. I hope this lesson was beneficial and helpful to you as you make your decisions about how the Christian is supposed to relate to alcohol. What have we learned in this lesson? We've learned that intoxicating drink is a mocker, a brawler, and a deceiver. We have learned that intoxicating drinks affect our minds and will cause us to pervert God's law. We have learned that it will tempt us, but it will deceive us. And we must not allow it to deceive us or we'll be fools. And thirdly, we've learned what the proverbialist says about what we should do with alcohol. It's not for us to drink it. In fact, the proverbialist says we shouldn't even look at it. I hope this has helped you as you've wondered what God's Word says about alcohol and what we should do with it. If you have any questions about alcohol or about other aspects of serving God or about how to become a child of God, please give us a call at 615-794-2359 or you may contact us through our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com. If somebody's given you this lesson, let me again invite you to go to that website. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons in outline and audio format. We'd be happy for you to download those and use them in whatever way you believe will glorify and honor God. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.